members of the church family that have asked me certain questions about concerning the last days and are we living in the last days are we what are we going to face as the church i had uh, one one lady that asked me she said my husband and i sat down and we read through revelation the entire book and she said we couldn't find out when the church is going to be raptured I said, join the club. <laughs> oh. But there are things that we do see. There are things that God's Word tells us. And so I've titled today's message simply, Are We Living in What the Bible Calls the Last Days? And I think there's no doubt that we are. Scripture talks about in Joel, it's, it prophesied the Spirit of God being poured out in the last days. And Peter says, this is that that the prophet Joel spoke about. So we've been living in the last days for quite a while now, but the Bible also gives us some insight in Matthew 24, verse 32 and 35. You don't have to be a Bible scholar, you don't have to be a student of the Word to recognize that things can't keep going the way that they're going. Even in the secular world, we'll, we'll hear economists and uh, ecologists and sociologists, sociologists, we'll hear them talk about the shape of things and what's going on in the world today. And they even say things can't continue. We look at the news today, we see the fires up and down the West Coast in California, Oregon, and in Washington State, we see uh, the hurricanes hitting the, the Gulf Coast one after another. We see the tremendous flooding. We see the riots and the burning of our communities, our cities. We see all these things, and it's not hard to, to understand that everything points that these things can't continue. We have people crying out for defunding of the police departments, and we had two... Uh, officers shot this week in California, just an assassination attempt. Just someone walked up and shot, shot both of them. Things are escalating, and it doesn't take a brilliant scholar to see that. So I want us to look at, at what is uh, called the timepiece to watch. And it's Jerusalem, it's Israel, it's what's going on with God's people. Look at verse 32. This is a prophecy that Jesus is speaking. He says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already come, become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer's near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. You'd be hard-pressed to find a Bible scholar that doesn't interpret that as the birth of Israel. In Joel chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, the Lord speaks in that verse about Israel being His fig tree. In Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 8, the prophet Isaiah says, Who has heard, heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? 
Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. We all know that in May, the 14th day of 1948, this took place. Israel became a nation. Israel became a nation. So Bible scholars look at this passage that Jesus spoke of and they believe that it's referring to the birth of Israel. So when we look at this, it's easy for us to understand that things should be escalating. If we interpret it correctly, and this this seems to be correct, then we are focusing and coming in to the time that Jesus said, all these things are going to take place. Now sadly, in the church today, there's what I call a passive attitude towards the coming of Jesus. It's not that people are indifferent about Jesus coming. It's about they're indifferent about what's going to be taking place in the world during these last days. And I want you to think about that. How many of you have been taught, if you've been in church very long, and from a young age, boy, the church is going to be raptured out of here before there's any real persecution, any real problems. We're going to be out of here. And, and sometimes you have this attitude, oh Lord, I can't pay all the bills this month. This would be a great time to come. Come on, you're laughing because you've been there. How many of the church, though, we have that escape mentality where, where we're saying, Lord, come on and get us. Come get us, Jesus. I, I don't want to experience any trials. I don't want to experience any tribulation. I don't want to experience any persecution. So we have this desire, Lord, I'm doing my rapture drill today. Come on. And that attitude isn't biblical. That, that passive attitude, what do we see in, in Scripture? We see just the opposite attitude. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. In Luke 19, verse 13, He says, Do business until I come. The attitude of the church should be not to escape all of this, but as long as we're here, we're going to trust in Jesus. We're going to extend the kingdom of God with our lives. We're going to say, Lord, receive glory out of my life. That whatever we face, Lord, I know you're with me. I know you're, you're there. You'll never leave me and never forsake me. And Lord, I want to go forward and I want to touch lives for Jesus. Amen? In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's the heart of the Father. That's the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And we look at that and we understand the reason that the Lord hasn't taken us out of here, the reason that He hasn't returned is because He is consciously extending grace. 
He's saying there's, there's one more person that's going to accept me. There's one more person that wants to, that's going to open up their heart and welcome me in. He's not willing that any should perish. And that is the heart of our, our Savior and Lord, and that should be our heart today. Amen? My attitude, Jesus says in Matthew 24, towards the end of that passage, He says, watch and wait. People ask me, when's the church going to be taken up? Well, I have great respect for Bible scholars that some have what we call the pre-tribulation view. Others have a mid-tribulation view. Others have a post-tribulation view. Whatever their view, there are knowledgeable men, but all of them can't be right. Amen? And, and what has happened, many times the church has bought it. I was taught pre-trib. That was what I was taught as a, as a young man and as a kid growing up in the church. And I thought that was awesome. Lord, I'm out of here on the first bus. You know, I'm not going to see any trouble. Lord, get me out of here. And you know what? I, I want to tell you, if Jesus does come then and your theology is that you're not pre-trib, guess what? You're going to go anyway. Amen? He's not going to come and say, Ryan, you were not pre-trib. You've got to stay a little longer. Matt, you are pre-trib. Come on, let's go. He's not going to do that. Amen? But you need to watch and you need to be ready. And my heart is, Lord, I want to stay here as long as you want me here because I am the light in the midst of the darkness. I am the salt that brings preservation in the midst of what is destroying our world today. So I'm ready whenever the Lord wants to come. But I'm, I'm preparing that no matter what I face, I know that Jesus is with me and I'm going to continue to be that light. The Lord has placed you geographically and in this time in history for a purpose. Amen? None of you were born at the wrong time. Some of us feel that way. I know I've had friends that said, I should have been a mountain man. I should have lived in a cabin, hunt fish. That's my life. And I was born 100 years too late. No, you aren't. You may enjoy that lifestyle. You can still go do it. But that is not God. He didn't mess up. You are here because God planned and purposed you to live in this time. And to live close to Him and fulfill His purpose for your life. Now, not only do some have an escapist attitude, which is wrong, but others also... It, there's a fear that takes hold of believers because all of a sudden it's dawning on them that things are getting difficult and they're thinking, oh no, things might get a lot worse than what I expected. And I want us to think about that for a minute. Because many of us were taught that. I was as a child. Boy, before anything gets bad, Jesus is going to get the church out of here and so you don't have to worry. In John chapter 14, they use this verse. 
chapter 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus is speaking. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's true. Amen? But they try to separate that and they try to say, well, Jesus has to come for the church before it can't be in the second coming. And they say the second coming, Jesus is going to come to judge this world, to reign over the earth. And they quote Revelation chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Because you have kept my command to, to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now the word trial there is actually the Greek word for testing. For testing. And it's used of the enemy when the enemy comes to tempt us to fail. But it's used of God when God comes to test us to prove that in Him we are more than capable. Amen? So God doesn't tempt us. The enemy tempts us to cause us to fail. But God tests us that we can shine for Him. The, the problem that we face is that today there are more uh, Christians experiencing persecution than in the history of the world. The pre-tribulation rapture is hard to sell in the, the countries around the world where there are 260 million Christians that are suffering from persecution today. 75% of all religious motivated violence in the world today is against Christians. On, every, on average, eight Christians a day die for their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ around the world. 182 churches are attacked every week in the world because they're Christian. 309 Christians are imprisoned for their faith every month around the whole world. There are 260 million Christians suffering persecution today. Tell them that they're not going to experience any trial. So we don't look at the rapture as the great escape. Because there's brothers and sisters that are experiencing great persecution. And we see in the New Testament, at the birth of the church, when the persecution came, the church rose to the occasion. Amen? The church was on fire for Jesus. The church wasn't praying, Lord, get us out of here. They were praying, Lord, give us more boldness. Amen? And that's the church I see. Until Christ comes, we're going to be watching. We're going to be waiting. But we're going to be saying, Lord, give us a holy boldness that we can be the light and be the salt. Look at the great promises God's given us. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Until that day. Did you hear that? Philippians 1 and 6. Being confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you 
will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In Matthew 16 and 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We've been given promises after promises. The early church suffered great persecution, but they were overcomers because they were in Christ. Next, Jesus is coming for a church that loves his appearing. Amen. Not a church that is just saying, get me out of here. Lord, help me. I want to get out of this mess. I'm tired of what's going on around me. No, he's coming for a church that loves his appearing. There's an old gospel song that that I was raised on. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. <laughs> oh, I want to see him. <laughs> I'm not worried about the mess and getting out of it. I want to see Jesus. <laughs> I want to be in the presence of my Savior and Lord, the one who died on the cross for me, the one that loves me with an everlasting love that is so great I can't begin to understand the depths of it. I want to see Jesus. I want to experience His presence and His power and His glory. I want to be there with Him. That's the church He's coming back for. Amen? That's the church. A church that loves His appearing. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, Paul says, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. <laughs> are, are, are you just have that mindset, Lord, I love your appearing? He says, there's a crown laid up for you. Stephen is an example in Acts chapter 7. He was being stoned to death. Is he praying, Lord, get me out of this mess? What does he say? And and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord Jesus. He saw Jesus stand. He was ready to go. His eyes were on Jesus. He loved his appearing. There's two Greek terms in Scripture that are used and they're separated by those that believe in the the pre-tribulation rapture. Perusia and epiphania. And perusia means the presence of, like a diplomat would come from another nation and come to, to meet you. And it's used in that way. Epiphania means the appearing or the manifesting forth of a brightness. It, there's a distinction that many times are made. And one is for the presence of the Lord, and the other one is that at the manifestation of His presence, 
there will be this tremendous brightness. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, The Lord will consume with the breath of His mouth and destroy with the brightness of His coming. It's saying that the manifestation of the glory of God will destroy the Antichrist. But these two terms, if you, don't, if you receive them together, and this is important, they were never separated until 1830. 1830 is when pre-tribulation theology entered into the church. And again, I'm not here to, to uh, denounce any, anybody that believes that. Okay, what I'll say is, uh, I was talking to Dr. Don the other day, and I asked him, I said, Dr. Don, are you pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? He looks at me and he said, I'm pan-trib. I said, pan-trib, it's all going to pan out in the end. <laughs> but for those who have been taught and those who are expecting, I'm simply asking you today to keep your minds open because we may experience more than what we want. Amen? Because our brothers and our sisters around the world, they're experiencing more persecution than they want. They're still being martyred for their faith. They're being imprisoned for their faith. And I want to ask you, if that comes to our nation, how are you going to respond? All of a sudden, are you going to change religion? It's too uncomfortable to believe in Jesus anymore. Or are you going to be like the early church? And say, Lord, give me more boldness. Give me more boldness. I want to look at two passages. I want you to turn with me in, to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. I think I told you 16. It's Mark 13. I want us just to look. That, we're not going to do an exhaustive study. We don't have time. I'm going to, I'm, but I'm going to read a, a large portion of Scripture. I want you to begin with me in verse 1 of chapter 13 of Mark. Then, as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another. That shall not be torn down or thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew ask him privately. Notice, it's just the, the four disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. He said, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? That sounds like a question that we would ask Jesus today, doesn't it? And Jesus, answer, answering them, began to say, take heed that no one deceives you. First of all, church, we need to understand there's going to be great deception in the last days. That's why we need to know what God's Word says. We need to rightly divide the Word of truth. We, we need to not just be spoon-fed. And I, that includes me. You, you get, go to the Word and you make sure everything that I'm preaching lines up with God's Word. Because we need to make sure that we're not deceived. Verse 6, for many will come in my name saying, I am he and will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, 
Do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. Now, from verse 5 to 8, through 8 there, Jesus is doing a general survey, and he mentions things that are going to be taking place and increasing as we draw closer to his return. Now look at verse 9. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. There's, now some people will, will take that verse and they'll try to beat you over the head with it. And say, you're holding Jesus back because you're not witnessing. Well, I don't think that's the love of Jesus. I think there's going to be an inevitable spread of the gospel to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Because the the church is rising up. The church is on mission. The church is going forward. We're sending missionaries out. We're translating the word of God into various different to languages around the world so that it's inevitable inevitable the entire world will know about Jesus but when they arrest you and deliver you up do you do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak for whatever is given you in that hour speak that for it is not you who speak but the holy spirit The Holy Spirit of God is going to be speaking through the church in the last days. Now brother will betray brother to death and a father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. You say, Pastor, that doesn't sound too happy or too joyous. There's going to be people that are going to turn you in for being a Christian. People that it could be in your own family. I want to ask you, are you ready to stand in that kind of a situation today? Look at verse 14. So when you see the abomination of desolation, and notice he's talking to the disciples, the four close disciples to Jesus, And he says, when you see, he's talking to the church. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter. In in this passage, Jesus talks about the abomination of desolation. And then he says something interesting. Let the reader understand. Well, the the difficulty with that is 
that it's only mentioned a few places in Daniel. In Daniel chapter 8, verses 9 through 12, Daniel 9, chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, then Daniel 11 and verse 31, and Daniel 12, verse 11. And if you read through all of those, you still don't understand it. Now, most Bible scholars will tell you that it's, it's something along these lines. That, that there will be swine brought into the temple. First of all, the temple is going to be rebuilt. They will, there, there will be a time of peace, but then the Antichrist is, is going to rise up. He's going to come against the Jewish people. He's going to either bring swine into the temple and defile it, or he will establish his idol in the, in the temple. Those are the two prominent theories. But we don't know exactly. But, but church, as with all prophecy, when the prophecy takes place, it's always evident to the church. The church looks back and goes, yeah, here's what it was saying. This is the fulfillment of that prophecy. So when it takes place, church, we will know. We will know exactly what it is. Now look at verse 19. For in those days there will be tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of creation, which God created upon until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Now there's two things I want us to see. It's talking about tribulation in the world that's greater than the world's ever known. And then it says, unless the Lord shortened the days, that all of us would be wiped off of this planet. And he says, for the elect's sake. Now who's the elect? There's only two possible interpretations for the elect. Either it's national Israel, which some choose to, to say that's what it is, the, the pre-tribulation crowd especially, or it's the church. But who is he talking to? He's talking to the church. He's answering the church's question. So I, I just want you to, to encourage you, church, to not get your hopes up in the sense of, I'm out of here on the first bus load and I'm never going to see any tribulation. You say, Pastor, this is a real downer of a message. No, it's not. <laughs> oh, I want to see him. He's coming, to he's, he's coming back for his church. We're living. The Bible's true and what God said is going to happen is happening. He has you in the palm of his hand. And He's going to give you everything you need. No matter what tribulation you face, He will see you through it. And if, I'm here to tell you, if I'm martyred for Christ, guess what? To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Amen. You're not going to hurt me. I'm going to be in the presence of Jesus. So the church needs to have their mindset. It may get a little rougher, but Jesus is all I need. Amen. He's going to see me through whatever, whatever I face. Let's go on. I need to get through this. Verse 21. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ. Or look, he is there. Do not believe it. 
For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So there's going to be false miracles or signs and wonders taking place. And church, for there to be false signs and miracles and wonders, I believe there has to be the genuine article from God taking place. I believe the church is going to rise up in the power of God's Holy Spirit. And we're going to see a great move of God. And we're going to lay hands on the sick and see them heal. We're going to see blinded eyes open, deaf ears open. The church is going to go forward extending the kingdom of God. Whew, that'll preach. Verse 24. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. For the stars of heaven will fail and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then He will send His angels and gather together His elect from the four winds from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. Now jump over to Revelation, and we're going to finish with a, a few verses in chapter 6 of Revelation. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Verse 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see, another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. So it's speaking of war. When he opened the third seal, I heard the, thir the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for denarius, and three quarters of, a, of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. So it's talking about famine. Verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. So a fourth of the world's population is going to be killed. Look at verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. There's going to be Christians going through this church. Verse 12, I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake. 
And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its, its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky recorded as a, receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. So there's going to be astronomical things taking place. Then every mountain and island was moved out of its place. So the, there's going to be topographical changes to the whole earth during this time. And the kings of the earth and great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide from us the face of Him who sits on the throne. In this time... In this last seal, people are realizing they can't escape what's taking place. And they're, they're just wishing that the rocks would take their life. And it also says, fall on us, hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. From the wrath of the Lamb. What is sad to me in this, they recognize the Father, they recognize the Son in His glory, but there's no repentance. For the great day of His wrath has come, and He who is able, and who is able to stand. And what I want you to know, church, is that we are assured that we're not going to experience that. There is no doubt 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9 says, We will be kept from that hour that tests the whole world when the wrath of God's poured out. That's good news. And you say, Pastor, I don't know. What are you trying to say today? I'm trying to say today that Jesus said, Watch and wait, be ready. I'm trying to say today that we don't know how bad things are going to get, but we know who holds our tomorrows in His hand. What I'm trying to say is pray, and if the Lord has you prepare in some way, you know, that a few years ago there was this show on TV called The Preppers. And they were preparing for the, the, the crazy, I don't know, they're all different scenarios. The zombie apocalypse. But what I'm telling you is the church, the early church was birthed in extreme persecution. Paul had authority to go and to kill Christians. He was consenting to their death. And I think for far too long we've had pastors that didn't want to talk about any of this. They just wanted everything to tickle your ears. Oh, I've got Jesus and everything's going to be alright. I've got a house with a white picket fence. And church, we need to be ready. If Jesus comes tomorrow, right now, and next second I'm ready to go and I pray that the church doesn't experience 
But there are scriptures that lead me to believe the church could experience a lot more than what we think. And so as a pastor that loves you and cares about you, I want to encourage you, get ready. Draw close to the Lord. Surrender everything to Him. And do what the Spirit guides you to do. Because I can see a church. Worship team, will you come? I can see a church like the early church where the persecution in the world just gave them a a greater passion and a greater fire. I want to ask you, do you care about the guy across the street that may cuss you out because you're a Christian? Do you pray for him? Do Do you talk to somebody at work? Oh, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. Trust Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you. But take opportunity because the Lord loves that person. Just recently, Melinda's had a cousin that isn't a believer. And he literally hates anything that has to do with Christian values and conservative values and and it got where she just she tried to witness it to him and tried to reach out to him and said you need to deal with that hate in your life but he kept on and he kept on finally she she said I got to take a break from this and she defriended him but church I think there's too many of us that are that are quick to just defriend the world and say, well, I'm okay with Jesus, so I'm just going to hunker down. Jesus hadn't called us to hunker down. He's called us to do business until He comes. I can see a church that in the midst of persecution prays and seeks God's face and goes out and shares the love of Jesus to the broken. I can see a church who has some extra food stored up and somebody who's struggling in the midst of a famine, they reach out and say, I want to help you and your family. Here, I'm going to share with you what I have. I can see a church that just is excited because they know that Jesus is about to return and we're going to do whatever we can to take Jesus to one more soul. Take Jesus to one more person. As we see the things unfold, the theme on our heart is, oh, I want to see Him and look upon His face. We're expecting Him. But we're going to be His voice. We're going to be His his touch. We're going to be His message. We're going to be His feet and minister until Jesus comes. Amen? I want you to stand with me. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward and at the back of the building. In church, we're going to continue on this theme and we're going to dig in deeper in some things and we're going to look at a lot of end time things. In church, I don't do this to get a crowd. I don't do this to scare people.
I do it because God's Word tells us to preach the whole counsel of God, and this is part of God's Word.